This episode is brought to you by Taproot Edmonton, your source for curiosity-driven coverage of our city, cultivated by the community. Taproot publishes a weekly arts roundup. It's fringe, so get your arts on. Gathering up what's happening locally in theater, dance, the visual arts, the literary arts, and more. It's curated by Fanda Mithrush, a veteran of Edmonton's art scene and a co-host of I Don't Get It, a fellow member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Go check them out. And please subscribe to the Arts Roundup for free at taprootedmonton.ca. This episode is also brought to you by ATB. Now, plenty of people dream of starting an awesome band with their friends, like myself, but actually achieving it is something else entirely. For Edmonton band Altamita, making music together full-time was their goal. Thankfully, they discovered ATB's branch for arts and culture. Designed by artists for artists, the branch for arts and culture caters to the unique needs of people who work in creative industries. With their help, Altamita has been making beautiful music together. To see their full story, visit atb.com slash Altamita, A-L-T-A-M-E-D-A, or just go check out atb.com. So when I started researching about the media and masculinity, because I knew I was doing a multi-part series about the media, um, I started searching the words toxic masculinity and news or politics and put it on YouTube and see what comes up or I'll put it on Google and see what comes up. And time and time again, I kept getting hits from conservative-leaning news sources like Fox or uh, Good Morning Britain in the UK as Piers Morgan gets rattling off. And the other ones were college lectures and, and of course, Jordan Peterson. Now, all three don't have an obvious through line, but if you look a little closely, it's there for sure. All of them are very concerned about masculinity in, a, yeah, I would say, a defensive way. And a lot of them are there for the money, or the clicks, or maybe just to provide answers to people. Saying many versions of, oh no, we don't worry about this. We shouldn't be worrying about things like toxic masculinity because so and so and so. Now Jordan Peterson is an interesting case study in the sense of how media portrays issues of gender, masculinity, and LGBTQ issues. And I think he became the linchpin of how... I wanted to think about this episode. I didn't think about this until I started doing a lot of the background work um, in making this episode. And now it's kind of, it's all about him, unfortunately. It's the way it is sometimes. Here's the reason. He is somebody whose cult of personality was created by the mainstream media. You know, before his push of critique of Bill C-16, Peterson was a professor of psychology at the University of Toronto who wrote a book and he put his lectures online and he had kind of an online following, but it wasn't the way it is right now. It wasn't until the media captured his transphobic comments uh, that were posted on YouTube about Bill 16 and he got a lot of hits because of that. Um, so the media decided to put him in the spotlight. Well, I think that the Ontario Human Rights Tribunal is probably obligated by their own tangled web to, to bring me in front of it. If they find me, I won't pay it. If they put me in jail, I'll go on a hunger strike. 
I'm not doing this, and that's that. I'm not using the wor words that other people require me to use, especially if they're made up by radical left-wing ideologues. Now, without the overwhelming coverage that Peterson got from the Canadian and then the American media because of Bill C-16's supposed, quote-unquote, controlled speech, he would not have this celebrity status that he has today. You know, he would not be invited to other panels about being some sort of gender expert or especially an expert on masculinity as he's considered today. And, you know, <laughs> beyond the point, let's, you know, we're ignoring the fact that uh, Bill 16 passed and, you know, no one, especially Peterson, has gone to jail because of it. Not only that, Peterson routinely mischaracterized Bill C-16 as a hate speech law and only mentioned if he were going to jail if he didn't pay the fine as some sort of protest, which doesn't mean that Bill C-16 was a jailable offense. It's like saying that uh, because I'm not paying my parking tickets that parking illegally is a jailable offense. That doesn't make sense. Or, you know, let's not mention the fact that he also mentioned in the same interview he regarded anti-racist and anti-bias training as quote-unquote political ideology or he mentions that a lot of this came from radical left-wing ideology meaning the pronouns and all that thing he routinely called it radical left-wing ideology or made-up words also because the University of Toronto decided to make anti-racism and anti-bias training, so-called anti-racism and anti-bias training, mandatory, which I regarded as an inappropriate incursion into the domain of political opinion by the university administration. Have you taken that training yet? No, and I don't have to yet. It's, it's the HR department personnel that have to take it. If they decide that you have to, will you? No way. But yet, here we are. It's 2019 and we're here because now being anti-racist and anti-bias, anti-sexual harassment, or even just using gender pronouns or talking about toxic masculinity, somehow a political thing. Or that we've come to the point where issues that I think are community issues, issues that affect all of us, are now wedge issues between man versus women or left versus right or whatever. You know, this very infotainment type of media, it's not working anymore. And the media that created Jordan Peterson, it's not, it's not effective anymore. So, how is the media handling this? And how is the media dealing with gender in your case? This is Modern Man. is brought to you by Next Gen Men and the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATV. If you want to support Next Gen Men empowering young men and helping to shape the future of inclusivity in our community, support us by going to patreon.com slash nextgenmen. Or you can go to nextgenmen.ca and you can see what all of the Wolfpacks are doing throughout the country. Please go check us out at nextgenmen.ca or patreon.com slash nextgenmen. You know, obviously the word toxic masculinity uh, can be quite a triggering word. This is Michelle De Silva. She's a community manager at Extra, X-T-R-A. She's also a freelancer and also for the last three years was one of the editors at Now Magazine in Toronto. 
she stepped up to the plate. When I asked if I needed a journalist for this episode, she said, yes, let's do this. Uh, let's make this happen. And she's graciously volunteered to talk to me as a member of the media. So I really wanted to know how the sausage was made. And I use triggering in the sense that it, you know, can easily kind of uh, bring up a lot of emotions, um, bring up a lot of um, antagonism towards uh, the use of that word. Um, and it's definitely a word that I think in the past uh, year or two, especially, has really kind of come into the mainstream and that, you know, when you say toxic masculinity, I think people generally have an idea of what we mean by that. Yeah. I think that movements like the Me Too movement um, have kind of, um, you know, brought uh, ideas of gender and conversations around masculinity into uh, mainstream households and into the forefront. And, you know, we're seeing a lot of uh, different talking heads and, of course, media organizations uh, talk about masculinity mm. and, uh, you know, how we all kind of contribute um, to what is toxic masculinity. Now, the Me Too movement, beyond anything else, has opened the conversation of how we talk about sexual violence which in turn is a larger conversation around terms like the patriarchy, rape culture, toxic masculinity, consent, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's, it's opened up a Pandora's box of terms and ideas that uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about a whole lot. And last time, we spent a lot of time the other week breaking down toxic masculinity in the media. But at the same time, it's very interesting to look at this through the media landscape. Because toxic masculinity, in its sense, is, like Michelle said, a quote-unquote triggering word. It's a divisive word. It's a very much a right versus left ideology. That's what it's being framed as through the media or through this general discourse. And I think that you see this a lot in um, even just mainstream media's coverage of um, masculinity and the use of toxic masculinity. I think that it's um, a word that is that does align with the left um, and with liberal liberals in general, small l. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that oftentimes when uh, you know right wingers or conservative small c um, organizations and media organizations talk about masculinity or quote unquote toxic masculinity, um, they do see it as something, you know, as an ideology that was invented by the left, that this mm -hmm. was not a problem, you know, five, 10 years ago, and we have just simply invented this issue about masculinity out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, that's not true. I think um, it's, uh, you know, it's something that's always been an issue. It's just that we now have more people actually talking about it and that it's kind of in our faces and we, we can't deny uh, its presence. So I want to know, what is the role of the media to clear the mud, to make sure that this is becoming more of a community issue, like something that we all can uh, rally against? And not only that, but also provide an understanding as to why toxic masculinity has become a political term. Uh, just really address the fact that we're dealing with some of this toxic masculinity that Hollywood and the media created. Uh, you, you go back and look at the years and years of conditioning of objectifying women, of turning them into, you know, these objects in, in print and film and normalizing abhorrent behavior. 
And now people are acting in, in, on the left in the media in Hollywood. Uh, you know, they're acting self-righteous and horrified at the behavior that is the end result of the conditioning that they receive for years. And Tucker, one follows the other. If people have been conditioned for years to act in a certain way, they're going to behave a certain way. And so when you see them attacking this toxic masculinity, I want to make the argument this is a culture that the left... Now, that clip was from Fox News. It's a a Tucker Carlson segment, Um, and it's a very typical retort about any word or issue that is somehow attacking a status quo. It's to frame it as a uh, made-up term and something not to really worry about because uh, this is not important enough, yet we're still going to talk about it. And it's very typical of what conservative or right-wing media or just media that doesn't really agree with terms like toxic masculinity, this was what they'll frame it as. They will say that this is something that another person has created, so don't have to worry about it. Uh, you can't be scared about this. And not only that, they invented it, and it's their problem. And if it is a problem, they created it, and we're on the right side of this. So <laughs> this has become kind of muddy in the media landscape. And also... I can sense the little bit of anxiousness coming out of mainstream media. I'm very lucky in that I, I don't think it has for me. Um, but I've also, I think, uh, purposefully chosen throughout my career to work in at independent media mm. publications um, where I think, uh, well, I know that the thinking is much more liberal and um, progressive, um, where a lot of these um, ideas are actually met with Uh, I think generally interest, at least internally by our organizations. Um, That's not to say that our readers don't challenge us on them. Um, But I think in general, I've been very lucky to uh, work with editors where, um, you know, if I uh, seem to be an expert in a certain area, or if I've found an expert for us to tap um, in a, on a certain topic, uh, I've been very lucky to be encouraged to kind of run with that. Have you heard stories of other people um, having to like tone down their language uh, because of the worry about the backlash or worry about uh, a quote unquote politicization of something? Oh, definitely. I mean, I just think about even, you know, Canada's national media. Uh, when you look at um, huge media organizations like the Globe and Mail or the Toronto Star or the National Post and, um, you know, a, 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 greater reluctance to um, kind of allow uh, marginalized groups to lead the way or teach uh, teach people who work at these organizations like um, how and what they would like to be called or how, how they would like to be written about. Um, I think about even, you know, uh, the very slow adoption of uh, the singular pronoun they mm. and using they um, when uh, interviewees uh, who identify as non-conforming or gender fluid um, or even trans. Um, I think that a lot of uh, mainstream media organizations have felt like, oh, like, why are you trying to change the English language? We don't know how to, like, uh, you know, function in, in this kind of state. Like, and if we... Right decide to use they then like we're just gonna have to throw the entire dictionary out and like words mean nothing and all those kinds of things when um you know you kind of want to say like okay but in reality we have you know a group of people that are saying 
please represent me better. Please do a, do a better job at telling my story. And I think that it's really important for media to listen to them. So Michelle was very lucky in a sense that she was able to write about the things that she needed to write about in now and in will be probably writing an extra and through her freelance ways. But she knows that her colleagues may not be so lucky. And in the sense that editors are becoming a little bit more anxious about how to frame these terms so a lot of people can actually grasp into it. I don't know why it's become such a politicized term. Actually, I'm sure I have some theories about it. At the same time, though, it's interesting in the place that we are right now. It's also interesting to note that in a lot of independent media, the more niche media that maybe tailors to a younger subset of people, and one that Michelle works for, have no issues in parsing this language. Honestly, as cliche as it may sound, I felt different since little. When I was growing up, when I was a child in my early teenage years, I really didn't know what a trans was. Um, I knew I was different from an early age from an incident in my family that I wanted a Barbie. Transgender, a term used to describe people whose gender identity differs from the sex the doctor marked on their birth certificate. Gender identity. It's one's private sense of being a man or a woman. For transgender people, the sex they were assigned at birth and their internal identity do not match. So that clip was from Complex, a music, sneakers, and pop culture magazine. That's their brand. And they're making a case on their eyes to educate people about transgenderism. I feel like Complex knows that their audience and the people that they tailor to really care about these uh, issues. So definitely something that is important for them to talk about. And for the most part, mainstream media publications who even maybe have a slant feel anxiety when reporting specific issues. I feel like the more mainstream it comes, um, the bigger the anxiety is, especially when it comes to issues of race, gender, and identity. The issue is now that people are noticing these gaffes or people are noticing the fact that they mess up sometimes. And they're coming from places that before, you know, we would consider them higher authority. These coming from places like the CBC or coming from CTV that are coming from the BBC. Like these media corporations before, maybe before the invention of social media, were be considered the, the top of the pedestal in regarding to information. Now, not so much. Specifically with masculinity, when we talk about violence, like... All, all these people that have committed mass murders, all of them are men. Like, I have not mm-hmm. seen one woman commit mm-hmm. mass murder. Like, I, I, and I still, like, I'm still wondering and waiting for the media. Like, um, there have, like, to be fair, there have been some articles about this, and it's not all everybody. Uh, but to actually say, like, you know, like, almost 100% of these mass murders have been men. Like, where is the, the connection there? You know what I mean? Certainly. And... I'm not sure if it's like, you know, media's reluctance to put that out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're waiting for, you know, someone more official, yeah. <laughs> um, maybe the president, um, to kind of make that declaration. And then they could like report on that person 
saying that. And yeah. so it doesn't come from, I, I think, I think there's a reluctance maybe from mainstream media to say something um, that bold because they don't want to alienate not only any audience, but any advertiser. And I think that's yeah. what it comes down to. It's like, uh, for mainstream media, you don't want to piss off an advertiser because that's your bread and butter. Right. So don't say anything crazy, you know, <laughs> like. <laughs> this issue of bad and subconsciously biased headlines, you know, it seems like a weekly issue. Yeah, I try to keep up with uh, media criticism from time to time, and uh, I tend to listen to a lot of podcasts or I read a lot of things around media criticism. Uh, podcasts like Canada Land or The Press Box uh, from The Ringer, and I always hear about bad bias headlines. It's the amount that it gets covered, the amount that um, comes out in the general population it's it's kind of astounding it feels like it happens almost weekly and again these are coming from our very trusted publications including publications like the toronto star like the global mail like mclean's i feel like all three of those have had a headline issue in this past year reporters from ctv went and talked to um the families of these alleged murderers and uh the quote that came up on Twitter was that they are described as good and caring. Mm -hmm. And I was like, in what universe yeah. would we um, yeah. even, you know, give uh, men of color this kind of benefit of oh, the doubt? Totally. Um, <laughs> and where we would, you know, describe people who might be responsible for, uh, you know, several murders. Um, why, why are we using this language? Why are we showing photos of them smiling mm. um, and not old mug shots, you know? So this means that the general media is playing catch up to what diverse populations actually want. And this adds up to how the media talks about gender diversity and masculinity. When I think about how, you know, maybe um, 10 years ago, the only way that uh, a, a person of the public had any way of uh, contacting the media was maybe through like a letter to the editor or mm -hmm. something like that. Like you mm -hmm. could, you know, handwrite or um, if you would email, you'd email in um, some thoughts that you had to an editor. But whether or not they read them or, uh, you know, acknowledged them, you would have no idea. Um, and now, of course, every media organization um, pretty much has a has several social media channels, mm -hmm. um, and that's created a, uh, an avenue to have a dialogue, a discussion with um, this seemingly huge anonymous media organization, right? Like if mm -hmm. um, NBC or CBC or CNN um, tweets something dumb, they're going to hear about it. <laughs> they're going to have like a thousand people tell them like, you're dumb, delete this tweet. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think that that's a new thing for a lot of media organizations. They're used to kind of talking to or talking at people. Mm. Uh, they're used to writing for people, sending it out into the abyss and never having to hear about it again, right? But now it's like everything um, the media does elicit some sort of feedback, whether that's a like or a, you know, uh, um, a reply that yeah. is, is criticism. Um, so I think it's, it's 
kind of, I mean, it is very much a different landscape for media organizations. And I think that a lot of organizations are just starting to figure out how to react to this and what it means mm -hmm. um, to how they report. Right. And that they also can't, um, I guess in some ways, get away with bad behavior anymore. Yeah. Like, you know, in the past, Absolutely. if you misgendered someone, maybe you would have to post a correction like a week later yeah. um, in a tiny little spot on the letters page that, you know, who knows if anyone reads that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but now there's like an immediate recourse for an apology um, online. So, yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about that with um, the New York Times when they, uh, they had that horrible headline with, with Trump and they immediately changed it after their second edition. And I think, um, the media has had to really react to this. And, and do you think like as a member of the media, do you think that the media is actually, are they playing catch up or are they trying to be ahead of the game now? I think that in general, most media orgs are probably playing catch up in some ways. Um, the problem with social media and as a social media manager, I, I feel like, you know, it's, it's kind of an unfair position because yeah. the landscape is changing almost every single day that you go to work. Right. Totally, and no one totally. has a rule book. It has not been around for a hundred years. There's no one to teach you um, what's a good and bad, you know, way to do your job. Um, so I think that a lot of um, media organizations are just trying to fumble through in the way that, most media organizations are kind of fumbling through how to become a successful digital publication. Right. Um, it's new territory. Um, and it's scary when it has to do with your occupation, right? Like you want to um, feel like you're an expert um, in what you do. Uh, but there's, you know, a hundred people every day online telling you that you're not. <laughs> and that you need to do better. So, yeah. yeah. Michelle also makes the case that media can really learn from independent, non-mainstream media. I think, um, you know, I think actually the members of the LGBTQ community um, have shown us how to be better about that and are kind of leading the way. And I think oh, yeah. uh, that it's great if we kind of take their lead because, um, of course, uh, that specific community has taught us so much about uh, how gender is fluid and ge gender should be troubled and mm. that gender is above all a social construct, right? Um, and I think the more that um, we, we accept that and we see that and we hear stories about it, of course, um, amplified on uh, even alternative news, alternative news media uh, channels, then um, I think that the, the mainstream media can really learn from that and kind of um, maybe, you know, take some of that information and uh, rethink the way that they've been reporting. And maybe, just maybe, the fact that there needs to be more diversity in the leadership of this publications enterprise will be a better, better thing. I mean, we got to try it, right? Well, I think in general, it is a, it's a little bit of a Titanic situation for all of media right now. Unfortunately. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but I think that, yes, in some ways, mainstream media, uh, like, you know, National Post and McLean's, they're owned by the largest media conglomerate in Canada, Post Media. Mm -hmm. And so I think you know, post-media, the owners of post-media are going to have to decide, um, you know, what direction they want to take, uh, what side of history do they want to be on. Um, but of course, the bigger the ship, the more, you know, um, 
uh, the harder is to newspapers that you have to kind of deal with, the harder it is it's going to be to turn that ship around. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a little bit easier in some ways for independent media to try something different because they maybe have less eyeballs on them to begin with. Mm -hmm. So it's not as scary. And I think independent media has always kind of um, been established with this mindset of, you know, we're just going to go forth in the dark and, uh, you know, people will, will build it and people will come. Um, I think at the same time, uh, mainstream media in some ways is looking at um, the experiments in some ways that um, independent organizations have been taking. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that independent media, um, because they tend to kind of cater to smaller groups, maybe marginalized groups like, um, you know, LGBTQ media, um, media for specifically Asian American audience, uh, you know, um, media for Latinx readers. Mm -hmm. Um, They're seeing, you know, how, readers are responding to that kind of news. Um, And I think uh, in some ways it's up to indie media to kind of lead the way and show, uh, you know, how it can be done. Um, I think at the same time, I would love to see, I think that there are more, uh, you know, people of color or people from uh, diverse backgrounds entering into uh, media organizations of all types. But I think until we see these people uh, kind of get promoted within into higher up leadership yeah. uh, type of positions, it's going to be very difficult to actually enact any change because mm-hmm. you can have as many um, queer black reporters as you would like in your organization, but until those people are in decision-making roles, um, there's, not, there's not really going to be a huge change. It, it is confusing. Fox. I can't even say, can I, that you were born a certain gender because you disagree with the idea that you were born either male or well, female. Well, I say, I say you were born... What were you born? Can I answer, Piers? Yes. Absolutely. So I was assigned female at birth, and it's perfectly OK to say that. What does that mean, assigned female? So it means that when I popped out, and my sister's having a C-section today, actually, so we're oh, going oh, to... Good luck, good luck. Yeah. Is she having... A, has it been assigned yet? Well, that's Did... the first thing people ask, isn't it? Are you a boy or are you a girl? Yeah. yeah. And this is an opportunity. My book comes out tomorrow. Yeah, are you a boy thank or you very much. Are you, are you a boy or girl? I'm very much Enjoy a boy. Enjoy um, But let's get back to you, Fox. So you were born... A... So I was assigned female at birth. So you were born a girl? I never felt truly comfortable in my own body, and so I really struggled throughout my, my teenage years, my, the wrong puberty as I was going through that, I felt more disconnected with myself. I was really confused with, uh, you know, whether I fit into this world, mm-hmm. and I took steps eventually to start to transition, but as I did that, I realised that I was going from one set of expectations to another set of expectations mm-hmm. as well, because there's extreme expectations for men and women in this world. Mm-hmm. And I thought, so what, it's so all what, about authenticity. Have you, had, have you had a full transgender operation, or what have you had? Well, it's not really about that. Mm. As, uh, you know, it's about gender identity versus gender expression. But so my gender confi- identity yeah. is non-binary, and my gender expression is more masculine. So I hope that clears it up It doesn't clear it up bit. at all for me, so I might be the stupid one here. There he is again. Piers Morgan trying to meld his brain to understand what non-binary people are. On national TV, no less. Now, to me, this is the worst case of the infotainment type of reporting where you put two people of different understandings who will not be able to see each other or understand each other. I mean, not that those 
non-binary individuals have to understand what Pierce had to say, since it's Pierce's show and he decided to uh, invite them to, I think, to try to embarrass them. I don't know. This is kind of his shtick. But I wanted to show you this because this was made just to be a place to create a spectacle or create a mockery of the issue of non-binary people. That was the whole point of this segment. No, because I think there's very strong ideas about what it is to be a man and a woman in our society, and those ideas are entirely socially constructed. The thing we expect of women and men to do, and as a trans person who's been perceived as a man through most part of my life, who transitioned, I noticed how people perceive you differently in these expectations. We, we can't call you he or she, just to clarify one thing, right? You could call us they, and that would be fine. Singular, plural. But singular, when you say they, they, I mean they is a plural word for it's, more than it's one actually person. A sing- yeah, it's, you can actually use it as a singular pronoun if as you well. Don't, you nobody does, do they? I mean, it's my of point course about- you do. If you don't know someone's uh, gender, you would say, well, where are they? Or I hope they win the competition or something like that. But I can't so, say, like, she said something. I have to say they said something. You could say they or you could say ours. So they said something to they. Now, this goes back to the issue of Jordan Peterson. As he was given a platform in the uninfotainment media way through kind of a discourse debate format. Um, and this is something that the media loves to do. I mean, you have heard Jon Stewart uh, talk about um, the way that the left versus right in the media and CNN, that was back in the early 2000s. Um, it still goes on to this day. And it's to describe a critique in a misunderstood way in which, you know, people cannot be budged. And this is given a platform, which ironically, it's funny, ironically, Jordan Peterson rejected on the same program, which gave him his fame. There are more insidious things, in my estimation, going on underneath. I mean, even the, the, the uh, missive that you just read said that... Well, even providing me with a platform, let's call it, to express my views, is something that shouldn't be allowed. It's like, yes, that's why I made the video. It was because many people are claiming that the expression of these sorts of views should no longer be permitted. And it's this view for now, but this is a minor issue in some ways compared to the larger issue that's at stake, which is there are right to have discussions of this sort at all. Without this program and the appearances afterwards, including in the Canadian House of Commons, he would not be selling his books or having millions of dollars in Patreon. Now, saying that, Jordan Peterson as a person is, uh, he's just okay. I mean, his views are silly sometimes, and his form of self-help can be, you know, found in a lot of type of self-help books. It's neither, neither revolutionary nor extraordinary. He does pedal into right-wing conservative chicken little. The sky is going to fall off if we adhere to the way masculinity is going or the snowflake. And he even talks about like alpha and beta males and whatever. But to be absolutely fair, his views are, you know, in the spectrum of neutral to annoying at the very best. Although the way his fame arose also led to the platform of more unsavoring and dangerous types. The slippery slope that Peterson was upset about in five years ago, we can actually say it swinged the other way. The voices of people like Richard Spencer, Faith Goldie, and Gavin McInnes rose prominent, which led to the increasing white nationalist movement and the rise of the Proud Boys, for example. 
this wouldn't have happened if the media didn't play into the fascination of these extreme characters, which started with Jordan Peterson. I'm sure it has happened before, but at the same time, if we're talking about this kind of modern history, I would point to Jordan Peterson as being the, the linchpin of this. And the independent media, who gladly put these white nationalist unsavory characters on a pedestal. And as well, because of the politicization of words like toxic masculinity and such, when people talk about it, write about it, tweet about it, harassment undoubtedly comes. As a person who uh, especially, you know, spends a lot of their time online and on social media, um, certainly when I uh, was a staff writer and an editor at Now Magazine, I was writing um, a lot about uh, gender and race and um, how those uh, things intersected with things like uh, community and mm. uh, culture and the arts and entertainment. Um, so certainly uh, there were numerous times where um, I was a target, particularly on Twitter, um, where uh, I would say mostly men or, or accounts that appeared to be run by men right. um, would come after me uh, for kind of you know, uh, making this up in some ways. And, and uh, you know, that kind of idea of, you know, why are you trying to tear people apart? Why are you trying to create problems where there aren't problems? Mm. Um, so, yes, I, <laughs> I know a lot about kind of online harassment in that space. Yeah, that's, that's pretty sad. Like, and, and I feel that that's like, a, uh, I, I'm sure that there's a lot of people that feel the same way, especially... Um, people like yourself that are in the, in the, in the common public sphere that are talking about this. And uh, I, as soon as you kind of mention those terms or any type of terms around um, gender in general, it feels like there's a, there's a backlash. And uh, you know, I, I think specifically when I, when I did that episode about toxic masculinity, I talked about the Gillette campaign and what kind of backlash mm-hmm. that got. Um, so do you feel that when there's these kind of, kind of cultural moments that happen like the Gillette campaign, for example, um, you get a lot more of that, that kind of a vitriol. I think only if I, uh, happen to speak up about it. So, mm. um, I think I did actually, <laughs> when the Gillette campaign happened, I think I did, uh, you know, share that video and kind of tweet my opinion that, you know, this is great. It's great to see, um, a company on that scale, uh, you know, try something like this and try to talk about it. And I just thought that it was ridiculous and kind of showed um, how fragile, I'll use that word, um, masculinity can be in that so many, so many uh, cis men mostly uh, like felt very offended by this and felt like they, it was targeting them. Um, I wanted to add too that I think um, a lot of the kind of attacks that I get um, are often also often centered around the fact that I identify as a cisgender woman. Mm. And I think a lot of people uh, feel like, you know, it's not my place to talk about masculinity. Mm. Yeah. You know, like what, what do I know? What right do I have um, talking about masculinity? So um, I think that's really interesting as well. Now I'm lucky enough that I haven't gotten much harassment through my platform. Maybe it's just because it's not popular enough, by the way, you should subscribe and tell your friends. And maybe it's because I have a, great community with me here in Edmonton. And also maybe it's because I'm a cis heterosexual male. And maybe it's because, like Michelle mentioned, I'm a man talking about masculinity. Maybe that's why I don't get the backlash. But like I mentioned before, 
toxic masculinity and issues of dominant Western masculinity, it's a community issue that affects men, women, and people of all gender. So it is absolutely an issue that everybody should have a voice in. I also wonder if talking about it in real life or in Twitter makes a difference. And even I would say on some of my social platforms, like um, uh, like maybe Instagram or Facebook, where I would say the ratio of strangers versus friends is uh, a little more skewed. So, you know, I actually know a lot of people. Well, I pretty much know everyone that I'm friends with on Facebook. Yeah. And then certainly I would say at least half the people um, that I follow or follow me on Instagram are people that um, I know have similar politics and viewpoints and um, kind of they're coming from a similar place in society. Um, so I think that um, often when I'm having those conversations um, on those in those circles or uh, even in real life with my friends, um, I generally get a sense of agreement um, that we're able to kind of talk about these topics in a construct, what feels like a constructive or productive way right. um, that we feel comfortable um, having these often difficult discussions that might be, you know, uncomfortable for some people. Um, yeah, but, but I don't think that that's, I, I do often have to remind myself that I do, I guess, live in, in a bit of a bubble in some ways. Um, Same. <laughs> yeah. And, and certainly when I, you know, tweet something out, I uh, feel that very much um, <laughs> because uh, a lot of people, uh, not just who follow me, but who might find my tweet through some sort of hashtag or something, um, they'll, you know, immediately tell me that I'm wrong um, right. or that they disagree. Um, I don't think that that's a bad thing though. Like no. I, maybe I've kind of been able to grow a thick skin over all this time on, on a media platform like Twitter uh, where, you know, even if someone disagrees with me, I, I think I can kind of take a step back and go, okay, that's okay. That's where they're coming from. And we don't need to agree right now right here you know mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. but uh it's it's good i think to see um where you know what the other people do and what the other people think i think it's good to to be faced with ideas and people that don't agree with you or don't align with you i do know that the media has a hand to play in the issues of gender and masculinity and they cannot stand idly by while dangerous voices are given platform after platform to espouse hateful things. As well, we as Canadians need to understand where the media is coming from. Even now, there was a report by Canaland that reports that Post Media, the conglomerate that owns a vast majority of Canada's media, has major right-wing ties, affiliation, and money coming to them. Not only that, and we're going to flip this all the way around. Jordan Peterson is actually working on a secret project on Post Media's corporate headquarters, third floors. I wonder what it could be. And, you know, such a persecuted man. He is. Thank you so much, Michelle Da Silva, for joining me today to talk about the media. You can follow her at M-I-C-H-D-A-S, so Mitch Das, on Twitter, please give her a shout out and also tell her thank you on my behalf. <laughs> Join us next time where we'll continue this conversation about masculinity and we're going to actually talk about the woke dude. 
All episodes of Modern Manhood are archived at modernmanhood.org, or you can just find us wherever you get your awesome podcast. I'm Herman Villegas, and we'll see you next time on Modern Manhood.